big bombers or like football person. However, after we won last Sunday, I made a commitment that all of my illustrations today would be football illustrations. So we're going to see how this goes. We're going to have some, I thought about getting a gold tie, but I didn't think of it in time. So we are going to be a bombers church this morning. And we are going to celebrate because we love Winnipeg and we uh, want to bless Winnipeg and everything. I remember hearing a sermon almost completely on praying for... Where we're going to be speaking about reconciliation and it's kind of turned into a, a messal accidental theme over the last couple of messages. And so that's going to continue. Um, we've talked about forgiveness for the last, you know, this is the end of the series. Today's on reconciliation. Um, every time you have an offense, there's an opportunity for forgiveness, and there's also an opportunity for reconciliation. And we've talked about forgiveness uh, from God, we've talked about forgiveness for each other, and we've also talked about forgiveness for yourself. One of the interesting things, I'm not going to focus yourself, uh, which is just this interesting idea that I think just deserves some thought. Do you trust yourself? When you make a commitment, do you trust yourself to do it? Do you trust yourself to follow God? Uh, or have you lost faith in yourself? And we need to kind of rebuild that and think about that. So just think about that, even though that's not really going to be the focus for today. Um, when I was, I'm a psychologist, when we, I was studying psychology, we have to do this internship, a year of study somewhere. And so we got matched with uh, Saskatoon. So we were off to Saskatoon for a year. And sometimes because it's a year and because you don't know where you're going, couples can sometimes get separated for that year because it's like, well, I've got to go. We don't want to like have you quit your job. So just keep your job. We'll have a long distance relationship for this year. But fortunately, Natasha was studying and she was studying distance. So she was actually able to come uh, with me. We didn't have any kids at the time and we were pulling. And uh, so anyway, lots of stories, but we made it to Saskatoon and we were there. And um, on the first day of the internship, I had um, breakfast with the supervisor and the other students, and I was meeting them all for the first time. Very nice, you know, uh, nice restaurant. And they asked me about Natasha. So, so, tell us about your wife, right? Very reasonable question. You think I would have a reasonable answer? Um, and in my mind, I was thinking about how wonderful it was that Natasha could even be here. And so, my answer was, well, Natasha's great. She's portable. <laughs> and then um, that, that was, I said, she's portable and she's distracting. <laughs> We're talking about reconciliation. Um, I've had to have quite a bit of reconciliation with Natasha over the years. As you can see, my, uh, the way that I say things doesn't always come out the way that it probably should. And uh, Natasha is an extremely forgiving person. Uh, particularly when she listens to the message. She's been spending a lot of time up in kids' church. And uh, so when she listens, I'm like, I can't believe you said this about me. That's not true. And, um, and I say, I'm sorry. <laughs> we are supposed to forgive like God forgives. So anything you've heard from me in the front, just take it with a grain of salt about Natasha. It's probably Natasha, every birthday she gets like, you know, three birthdays and, and she does like, you know, like lots of celebration around her birthday and anniversaries and different things like this. And she was like, Cyrus, what did you say? People are coming up to me and they're like, wow, you must have it really nice. And <laughs> she's like, you're exaggerating. And anyway, lots of forgiveness. Uh, we are supposed to forgive like God. Let's see here. In Colossians, there it is. In Colossians 3.13, it says, bear with one another and if 
one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. So we're supposed to forgive, but we're not supposed to forgive our way. We're supposed to forgive. And then it also says in Matthew 6, 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, if you put those together that we're supposed to forgive or we're not forgiven, and if we're supposed to forgive like the Lord forgives, then you get to this conclusion, which is, you may have heard it said, because this is what I often hear around forgiveness, and I've said it around forgiveness, just because you forgive doesn't mean that you need to reconcile. Just because you forgive doesn't mean that you have to. There's some truth to it, like, and I'm going to talk about that today. Like, that's the whole message. So please don't take what I'm about to say and turn off the tape if you're listening online because, or leave the room because there's a lot to say about this. But I believe you get to this conclusion when you take those verses and put them together, we're supposed to forgive as the Lord forgives. And in order to be forgiven, we need to forgive. You get to this message. You have heard that it was said that if you forgive, you can forgive without reconciling. But I say to you, if you forgive without creating an opportunity for reconciliation, the Father will not be reconciled with you. I'll say that again. If you forgive without creating an opportunity for reconciliation, the Father will not be reconciled to you. You will be forgiven as you forgive. So we need to take this really seriously. We need to take this really seriously because if we take forgiveness without reconciliation, we want to forgive as the Lord forgives. And how many know that if the Lord forgave us without reconciliation, we'd be in some trouble? How many of you want to be forgiven but not reconciled to the Father? The whole point of God's forgiveness that we enjoy is our reconciliation with him. But not everybody is reconciled with the Father. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Abba, give us an understanding of our, in our hearts for us to have the opportunity to really love one another. Open our minds and our hearts to your passion for unity. Give us that path. This is such an exciting message that we can be reconciled with you and that we can be reconciled with each other. In the name of Jesus, amen. Some of you may be pretty offended right now. I'm okay with that. I think that we're supposed to be challenged. But we're going to talk about how to walk this out and there's a lot of details to it, and I don't want to be confused about what this message is really saying. First of all, when you reconcile, it's actually for you. It's actually for your benefit. It's also for the other person's benefit, but it's not just for the other person's benefit. It may not even be primarily for the other person's benefit. In Colossians 4, 2 to 4, it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on, which, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So he's saying, this is Paul saying, pray for me that I might have a powerful ministry, that I can actually walk God's wisdom out in my ministry. He's asking other people to pray for his ministry, which makes sense because we do this all the time, right? Like, 
we pray for other, we ask other people to pray for us, we think it's important. But if he's actually doing this, it's a really interesting implication that you might not have thought of. Part of Paul's destiny appears to be in the hands of other people. Isn't that interesting? By asking people to pray for him in his ministry, he is saying, I can do more in the Spirit with your prayer, with, which implies I won't be able to do as much in my ministry without your prayer. Some of your destiny in the Lord is in the hands of other people. Some of your, I think that's worth repeating, some of your destiny in the Lord is in the hands of the people around you. And I'm not even just talking about the church. It's in the hands of the people around you. We can do more with the support and relationship with other people. So, we've talked about closed and open doors in the past. If you have open doors with the people around you, you get to walk into that room and take the treasure inside of that room. When we open a door, it's not just like waving, right? You don't just get to wave when you look through an open door. You get to walk into that door and you get access to what's behind that door. We're not just wanting open doors so we can look through them. We want open doors so that we can have what's behind them. People, people's hearts, people's minds are like doors. Doors that we have the ability to access. If we were able to open the doors of more people's hearts, we could ask for more people to pray for us, just in this example that Paul's talking about. We would have more prophetic destiny that we could walk into in our ministries. There's treasure behind these doors. There's parts of our destiny that we can operate in. Now, I realize that there's details and that we could talk about how the Lord might make up for certain things and we're not responsible and there's, there's lots of potential like nuances and loopholes that we could talk about and I'm not going to work all those out other than to say that there is a reality that when you have other people praying for you, there seems to be an increase in our ability to walk that out if we just make it a little bit simplistic. So when you are able to reconcile with people, that treasure behind that door is an opening for you to be able to do more with God in your ministry. In Mark 3.27 it says, now this is just to give you the context, people were watching Jesus casting out demons and they said, you're doing this by the devil's power. So basically they're saying, how in the world are you doing this? How are you casting out these demons? And this is only part of his reply, but uh, this is an important part. Mark 3:27. but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So in this, in this uh, verse, he's actually the plunderer, and this is not his house. He's casting out the demon, and the demon has access to this house, and he's basically saying, I need to actually bind up the, the strong man so that I can take the treasure from that house. When you reconcile with somebody, you are binding a strong man. You are tying up a demonic presence that's interfering with your, with your relationship with that person. 
and you are able to access this in your own life. Now, you could look at this in the natural. I mean, this works in the natural. Without any spiritual awareness or enlightenment, you can see that if you can reconcile with somebody, they let you into their house and they give you a dinner. They tell you where to get a job. They give you a reference. There's treasure in having relationships and in networking with other people. And that is just compounded spiritually. That's a reality spiritually, that when you have an open door with somebody, you have access to their strength in them. And this is so exciting because that means that we have treasure that we can add into our lives. By following God, if we are open to reconciling with other people, we can actually increase the destiny in our lives, what God has for us and what we can do in, in our lives with other people. There is good pleasure in doing his work. Now, the other question, the main question about reconciliation is fear and pain. Fear and pain. So I can just imagine the question. Okay, Cyrus, you were saying that we have to reconcile, but I don't think you realize who I'm reconciling with. Right? You, haven't, you haven't met this person that I'm reconciling, that, I'm, that has sinned against me. So what about this case? And that's where I say this is, there are some nuances here, and this is where I do want to get into a few of those nuances to make sure that there's clarity. Because what I don't want is people to blindly walk into undiscerned relationships and get hurt again. For no kingdom reason. I don't want you to walk into an arrow unnecessarily. I want, you to, I want people in the church to be walking with wisdom and discernment and power. So I think it's really important that we don't become naive in how we walk out our relationships with other people. I'm a psychologist. I see Christians. One of the main things I see that Christians do is they take a very superficial look at the gospel and say, I need to let everybody into everything in my life and then they get blasted by those things. And then they get angry with God about that. And I could just see God saying, I don't know why you did that. Like, why were you, why were you open like that? You can't just read a few verses. Let's read the whole thing. There's lots of verses about discernment, about discerning wolves in sheep's clothing. There's discernment about throwing pearls before swine. There's like, you do not need to be in every relationship fully intimate. Jesus was not intimate with every person on the earth. Do not feel any condemnation if you draw a boundary between yourself and other people in God's will. There is room for that. Jesus had multiple levels of relationships in his lives. I've said this before. There were the Pharisees. I'll start on the other side. There was like the three. There was like, come and put your head on my chest, you know. Come onto the mountain and see me transfigured into glory. There was the three who had access to full revelation. Then there were the twelve who had the answers to the parables given to them in the secrecy of their relationship. They were like, I can give you the secrets of the kingdom and you will have authority to go and cast out demons in ways that other people don't. And then there was the crowd who were able to come and receive from him, receive healing and receive food multiplied and to receive teachings, but teachings that were given darkly because more was required, more intimacy before that revelation was given. But still they could come and they could access Jesus on a certain level. And then there were the Pharisees who just got anger pretty much. And tables flipped and various other things. Condemnation and 
warnings, maybe I should say, warnings. There are different levels of relationship that's modeled in Jesus' life. Jesus' life. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, you could say, wow, God, thank you for all those open doors. But if you look at it another way, you could say, wow, there's a lot of closed doors. There's like closed doors all over the place, and they're not just opened automatically. They are opened after knocking and after seeking. And I'm not saying you went to a conference and you knocked once and then it was opened. I'm saying knocking, seeking. There's choices potentially in what doors to open. There are closed doors in God's kingdom. There are boundaries there. And that's not an unloving act. God is love. Now, you might think that you have a boundary in order to protect yourself. And I think this is the primary reason people make boundaries is because I'm going to get hurt again. It's kind of that fear and it is that pain in their own life. When you start playing football, there's my football analogy. You don't start children off with full contact football, right? You don't even start them off with a real football. You start them off with a little like mobile, with really like football-oriented families, right? You kind of like the, the football mobile, you know, like above the baby. And then the dad is like <laughs> working at it, right? He's like, I think I've got some influence. We're going to make this happen. Saying some prayers. Then you give them the little Nerf football and you throw it at them and it hits them in the face and you're just kind of working with them. And then you start, and then you give them like touch football and you kind of run around and you throw it and you learn to catch. That's not to protect the dad from the child. It's to protect the child. The most, the symbol of the crib is a boundary that's not for the parents, it's the, for the protection of the child. The person being given the boundary is being given the boundary to protect themselves. I used to work in a prison. People, there are some people who operate in a much healthier fashion with strong boundaries. When you let them go from the prison, they're straight into a terrible lifestyle that damages their spirit, their emotions, their lives, they lose their lives. Some people, not everybody who goes to prison, like there's harm in prison, and I wrote essays on the harm of prisons, but when I actually worked in one, there is a group of people that can't seem to operate in a healthy way unless they have a really strong boundary system around them. Now, they're not saying that they like that, and we're not saying that we like the boundaries God's put on us, but they are protecting that person. If you murder somebody, it's hard on the person who got murdered, it's hard on the family of the people who murdered, like, yeah. But it's also damaging to the spirit of the murderer. It's damaging to the emotions of the murderer. So if we can make a boundary to protect that person from engaging in that kind of activity, it's actually for them as well. We don't want you to hurt yourself by hurting other people. So when you're making a boundary for somebody in your life, it's not just to protect you. In fact, primarily, as a Christian, I don't think we're called to be scared and unable to take pain. Now, there's truth in that, 
and we can have times of recovery because we're not 100% redeemed and we're not 100% renewed and our minds are still fragile and in pain. So there's room for that and God works with us. But the, the goal here is to be in the spirit, to not be harmed by the arrows that are being flung at us and to be creating boundaries, not to protect ourselves, but to protect those around us. We're called to be soldiers and athletes. We're called to be strong in the spirit. If you're in the spirit, there's no risk. So something God gave to me on Thursday. If you're in the spirit, you know how they say faith is spelt R-I-S-K? Faith is spelt risk. I say to you, if you are in the spirit and if you have faith, there is no R-I-S-K. There is no risk in the spirit. In the kingdom of heaven, there is no risk. You have God and what else do you need? There is no risk in the spirit. So we are called to be in this place of not having any risk. Yeah, do what you want to me. Kill me. You can kill me and you can't take the Lord from me. There is no risk for me. But I don't want you to be harmed. For the Lord, there is no risk in him making a boundary. He's not going to get hurt by us by giving us access to something. He's creating boundaries for us to protect us. For us, it's a little bit of both because we're not there yet, but we're called to be there. We're called to be like the Lord saying, you're not quite ready for that yet, but I want you to be ready for it. And I'm going to work with you to get you there. If you allowed somebody to wear their football pads too early, the dad's not worrying about getting hurt. They're going to hurt themselves. When God creates those closed doors around us, it's not to protect him. He's standing at the door saying, knock, I want to open it, but you're just not ready for full contact football. You're not ready yet, but I want you to be ready. Stay with me and I will help you. Okay, so you're standing, you're, you're there, you're hurt by somebody. And I'm telling you, you're the one with the door. You're the one with the boundary. You're the one who's not afraid in the Lord. You're the one who's not afraid of the pain. I know in reality you probably are. But in, this, you know, in the spirit, you know, you're not afraid. You're in that place, this goal that we all have to be completely renewed in our minds, to be completely renewed in our emotions, to be spiritually standing there, not afraid. When do you open the door? When do you actually allow reconciliation? I've forgiven you. I mean, you can maybe add more accurately, I have loved you, I am giving you love, and you are forgiven, but you, I want to open this door to relationship. How do you know when to open it? I'm saying so many people open it when they're not supposed to open it. You need wisdom, you need discernment, so how do we know when to open that door? How do we be discerning in the Spirit? Now, first of all, you need to be talking to the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to say that in a trite way, like, oh yeah, God will tell you. It's like, no, you really need the Holy Spirit on to know when to open that door to reconciliation. And there's also some information that the Spirit has given us in the Bible to tell us how to know when to open up that door, how to know when that door should be opened in our own lives. Let's go back to football. This is the Grey Cup Sunday. Winnipeg is playing the Tiger Cats. It's exciting. Now, the Bombers have lost to the Tiger Cats both times this season when they played. And I believe that the odds are slightly 
obviously it depends who you ask, in the tiger cat's favor. So how do we trust that the bombers, how do we forgive them and reconcile ourselves to them? How do we develop that trust? Because reconciliation is about trust. I don't trust that they're going to win. How do we develop trust that the bombers are going to win? Because I want to trust them again. I want to trust that they're going to take this and finally deliver the cup. Right? How do we trust them again? They're broken. This is such a real-life example, right? Like, they're broken people. Their team has faults and flaws. They're not completely renewed yet. How do we trust them again? How do we open that door to let them into relationship in my heart where I allow myself to be vulnerable and to cheer for them and to be hopeful with them again? To let them into that vulnerable place where I could be disappointed. I could be hurt by this relationship again. It's a dangerous thing to be vulnerable. You could get really hurt. You're going to remember this this afternoon now. You, up till this, you're like, I don't know what he's saying, but now you're like, oh, it's like, I'm going to be thinking about this all game today. How do I trust the bombers with my heart? How do you forgive them for the past? They've tr come so close so many times. When I talk to couples, when I deal with people who have had betrayals, and they want to build trust, and they come to me and they say, Cyrus, we're working on trust. How do we develop trust again? This is what I say. You need to grow. You need to grow. You need to become a different person. You cannot trust that person who betrayed you in the past. So you need to become a different person. If we were to say this for the bombers, I can't trust the bombers who lost twice to the Tiger Cats. I can't trust the bombers who have come so close to the cup. Year, many years, and have failed in the end. I can't give my heart to them and really believe that they're going to win. It has to be a different team. Maybe they still have the name the bombers, but it's not the bombers of the past. It's a new bombers. Maybe then I can trust them. Now, the Lord never fails. He's 100% trustworthy, as he is. So when he says, I am never going to change, that's reassuring. You will never change, so I can trust you. But if somebody loses a football game and says, I will never change, why would I trust that person? Why would I ever trust that team again? If somebody had an affair on you and says, I will never change. I am the same then and now and always. Be reassured. We would say, I can't trust you. If you're going to be that person. When a person or an organization refuses to learn, refuses to change, our hope is killed. Many of you are like, Maple Crest is great. Some of you are like, Maple Crest can grow. And if I was to say, Maple Crest will be the same then and now and always, you would be like, well, I'm not coming back then. 
you have to believe and have hope. You have to believe and have hope because there's this growth that can happen in an organization, in a person. So what's another word for growth? Repentance. We can have growth accidentally, so that's true. But sometimes, usually, growth happens faster and actually sometimes only happens when we are aware of our mistake and we say, I am going to change. Then we can grow. Then we can change. Repentance is sincere effort to change, to grow, to become more trustworthy, so that the Lord can trust us more, so that we can trust ourselves more, and so that others can trust us. So when I say repentance, I'm not saying that somebody says to you, I'm sorry, and I'm going to change. That's not what I'm saying. How many of you know that there are people out there who will say, I'm not sorry, I'm not going to change, and then they do? How many of you know that there's people out there who say, I'm sorry, and I'm going to change, and then they don't? And now I'm not talking that you would judge a person completely by their behavior, but I am saying that you would judge a person's repentance by their sincerity. So I'm not talking about insincere manipulation, okay? I don't want you to be naive in the spirit. I don't want you to be naive in your relationships. This is sincere repentance that I'm talking about. So when you think about this and you're like, well, that guy said he's sorry and that's not true, so Cyrus is off, we're talking about sincere, discerned repentance, real repentance. There is one door that God has described the most in the spirit. There's lots of other doors that we can have access to as a Christian. The Christian world, the Christian life is not limited to one door. There are people with different strengths and weaknesses, different treasures, and that's a beautiful thing. He wants us to work together, and those treasures are given in different ways in different people's lives. It's always very creative and wonderful. But there is one door that is the most described, solid door in the spirit is salvation. That is the primary door, the door of doors. One of the calls on this, on this community is to be a door opener for people. And one of the meanings of that is to open up salvation for people. What is the primary key to the door, that primary described door, what is the key to get through? To open the door of heaven itself for people. Repentance. Sincere. God looking into your eyes and knowing your soul. Repentance. He will not be manipulated. He will not be convinced because your friend did it. You stand before him open. He will not sway. He will be true to himself but he is a good father, and he can tell that you're sincere, and he will say, this door has been opened to you. It is open to you. Come into your reward. The most significant door created for humankind is completely governed by the growth principle. 
by the sincerity of our repentance. If you are determined to do what you've always done, to resist the Spirit in His ability to convict you and bring you into greater awareness of His calling for yourself, it's a very scary place to be. It's a very scary place to be. A Christian is called to continual repentance, sincere growth, not fast growth, not significant growth, sincere efforts to grow, to say, Lord, I am so sorry, and I really mean it, and I'm going to fall down again, and I'm going to hit delete, and I am going to fight this war. I might even have more ground. I might even be walking backwards, but I am fighting sincerely, Lord, to change and to grow. Come into your reward. Come in to your reward. I can grow my trust in the bombers because they are sincerely making efforts to change. They have two quarterbacks now, and since they had two quarterbacks, they've won two games. They're a new team. And I can have hope again that they are going to win the Grey Cup. And even if they don't, and their sincere efforts fail, if they hit delete and sincerely repent, <laughs> I can have hope again. I can have hope again. This is a beautiful message. We want to be... The call to reconciliation is so beautiful that we can take people in their chains, underwater, drowning in their mistakes and in demonic oppression, and we can take off their shackles and we can say, come and be my brother, be my sister. It's beautiful. It gives me so much joy that we can take these people and redeem them in the Lord. But it has to be a sincere knocking. It has to be a sincere asking. The call is not to be open to manipulation. And the call is not always to be close. If somebody sincerely knocks and you open that door and now they're in the kingdom, now they are, you're open to reconciliation, then you ask, Lord, how close is this person supposed to be in my life? And there's a different answer. It's not just like, oh, everybody gets to be close. It's like, no, I am offering you an opportunity for reconciliation. Come in, and then we're going to figure this out. Who's going to be your friend? And it might be me, and it might be somebody else. Just like all the other people in my life who have opened that door, I am now going to discern the closeness of that relationship with you and with my personality and with all of these other factors. But there is a sincere openness to reconciliation. There is an opportunity to discern in the Lord how close you're going to be if that person has sincerely repented. And there's different levels. Like, there's not, this isn't a black and white, all or nothing kind of situation where it's like, well, now you're like in. It's like there are doors. There's different amounts of how much power and influence you can give that person in your life. 
how vulnerable you can be with your heart. Jesus had multiple levels of open doors into his life when he was on the earth. Some worship team could come forward. We are a people who are not called to be here and to be comfortable with other people who have proven themselves to be safe. We are a people who have been called to seek out the treasures of darkness and to be wise in those relationships and to pull people out of that darkness and into the light, to pull his children back into the kingdom. We are called to be like the father in the prodigal son standing there waiting, not just letting anybody in, but letting people who come back into the home. It's exciting to be a people who can pull out the treasures of darkness. Lord, I pray that Maple Crest, that the people here would be excited, that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would give us a spirit of strength in our inner man, that you would clean and take away the trauma of the hurt and pain of past relationships, that you would give us discernment and that you would give us opportunities to bring in people into the kingdom in a way where we can stay safe in the spirit, safe in your love, and to operate in clear wisdom and discernment in each relationship, still providing that opportunity, that potential for being a brother or a sister in Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would give each of us the power and the wisdom to call in your people from this city. Lord, give us your spirit. Give us your strength. Amen.